Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is that time again. This is Nick from Nick the American. And it is time that we put politics aside for a little bit. Let's talk football. Let's talk NFL. Let's talk a little college football. Let's talk a little high school football. Let's just really try to not touch on too much politics. We try to unite the American people on Nick the American. We try to talk about what we have in common as opposed to what we don't have in common, which I've promised you is far greater than any of us realize. So I just got back from uh, high school football workouts. Awesome. I'm coaching high school football, as you know. Getting to know all the kids is a huge challenge. It is a challenge that excites me to no end. I love learning about the kids. Every kid is different. I've got four kids of my own. They are all different. They all behave differently. You connect with them differently. Hayes High School could be pretty damn good if we got the right kids out and they committed. That's tough. Some kids have home lives that are, that, are, that, are, that are different that you learn about. Sometimes football isn't the most important thing. Some kids are playing select baseball or select wrestling or select basketball. That gets in the way of any sort of spring workouts or summer workouts. Some kids are just lazy. You, each kid is like a toothpaste tube. How much toothpaste can we get out of them? How much toothpaste can Nick the American get out of each kid? Can he get 90%? Can he get 96%? Or can he only get 50%? Let's not waste the toothpaste. So... Yeah, we've been doing summer workouts for, God, over a month now. Turnout's been pretty good. Been running their ass hard. They've been lifting hard. We've got a you know, a really good group of seniors. So we're going to see how it all plays out. But uh, it is a lifelong dream of mine to coach high school football. I thought I would kick off talking about high school football a little bit. There's the there's – you know, the gist of it right there. Uh, I believe NFL training camp is opening right now, right now. And, and I wish I was sitting next to my the late, the great, my good friend, Rush Limbaugh. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Because he loved the NFL. He loved the NFL. And although I disagree with so much Rush says, I respect the shit out of Rush Limbaugh. Respect him. He loved the NFL, just like I love the NFL, a conservative and a liberal. Shout out to old Rush. He's not here any longer, but I thought I'd bring him up because I know how much he loved the NFL. And I know how much he loved politics. Me and him would have been good friends. We would have been. We would have been because we're Americans. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit. Let's talk about the NFL. NFL time. NFL time. We... Training camp has just started, and I've read a number of articles how running backs everywhere are pissed off. Running backs are beside themselves with how they are treated in the NFL. All players are a piece of meat. We discard them. Franchises discard them as their their skills drop. But the problem with the running back position is it's like the one position on your NFL roster that when you draft – your back is NFL ready. He is NFL ready, or he should be, 
the only the, the only problem with a bat coming into the NFL, it's not hitting the hole. It's usually not vision. It's it's usually pass protection, right? Third down. If you can't pass protect, then you can't be on the field. Period. But for the most part, the if you've got the right NFL back, he is ready to go. The second he jumps on an NFL roster, and the problem is this. By the time that NFL back gets the first carry, his very first NFL carry, he's considered somewhat damaged goods. It's like buying a brand new car and driving it off the lot. That car is already worth a fraction of what it was. Okay? With other NFL positions, it's the opposite. Look at wide receiver or left or right tackle, offensive line, quarterback. This takes two, three years to acclimate to the NFL game. The speed, what you have to know, playing fast as opposed to still learning. These positions age like a fine wine. A receiver might not be a stud till year three. You can see flashes. A tackle, it may take years. And then they can grow into that position. They're worth more money after they drive off the lot. <clears throat> That's just a fact of life. The running back position is not like a fine wine. It doesn't age well. It does not age well. And when you think about the history of football, the history of the National Football League, you think about Walter Payton and Jim Brown and Earl Campbell. Think about the Miami Dolphins giving up, Mike Dicka giving up their entire draft to draft Ricky Williams. I think Mike Holmgren did something similar not too long ago with uh, what Trent Richardson, the running back from Alabama, when he was uh, GM of the Cleveland Browns. The running back position, pound for pound on your football team. This has historically been one of the baddest men on your football team, period. Just an absolute ass kicker. Now we don't look at it quite the same way because – we ask them to get in a car wreck every single play. They are going to tear their ACL. Even if they ball out and rush for 1,400 yards, they want a three-year deal or a two-year deal or a four-year deal. They want some sort of security, and it's not there for them. They literally get fucked. So what could we do in the NFL? What could we do with the running back position to, make, to give them some sort of security? Yes, they have a short lifespan. Is there, a way, is there a way that we could take this pound-for-pound athlete that has to get in a car wreck every single week and give him some more security? Well, currently, the, the salary cap sits at $224.8 million, $225 million. What if the NFL came in and said, okay, the cap is now... 250 million. However, it's 225, but there's an asterisk. So there's a parenthesis of $25 million. You're going to usually keep four, maybe five. You're going to keep four running backs on your roster, but there is an additional 25 million or 10%, eight to 10% of the cap that we set aside that every team must use for four running backs. If you want to keep five, then you, you divvy up the money, but there's $25 million or a 10% of the cap that we can pay the running backs with. If you want to give them a one-year $15 million deal, you can do it. If you want to give them a two-year $24 million deal, you can do it for your stud. 
we got to treat them better. We've got the NFL's got to figure out a way because this is the one position that does not age. We ask so much of this position. This is the one position where they're NFL ready essentially from day one. It may take you four or five years to figure out your shit as a quarterback. By that time, you find out you're a backup. You're holding the clipboard. You have a 10-year career, and everyone will sign you for five, six, seven million dollars. And you're just a backup. The NFL running back position, we just use you. We abuse you. And even if you ball out, you come back to them and say, can I get a a deal? And nobody wants to sign you. I think Dalvin Cook is still unsigned. He's still got football left. Zeke Elliott's still unsigned. I'm not so sure he has football left. But I'll take Dalvin Cook. He can't even find a job. If Dalvin Cook was an offensive lineman, everyone would want to sign him based on his ability. It just doesn't happen with a running back position. And when they sign a new CBA, when the players union gets together, the NFL should get together too. We've got to figure out a way to take care of historically one of the baddest ass positions on the field, an NFL tailback. Give them 10% of the cap. Up the cap. Give them 10%. Give them 8%. Give them security. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. By the way, Nick the American is now slowly but surely entering YouTube. These are being taped. You can see my really cute face on YouTube. They're not all up. Not all the episodes. I think this is the 15th episode, but we're starting to do YouTube shorts and stuff like that. So that's a good thing. My nine-year-old yells at me, Dad, why are you on YouTube? Uh, We're going to get there. Well, why not right now? Do it, Dad. I look at my nine-year-old girl and I say, I wish I had your fire. I once did, sweetheart. So look for us on YouTube. We're getting our stuff together slowly but surely, but I I wanted to throw that out. So, you know, a couple times I've mentioned I was going to talk about LSU football. The LSU Tigers. The LSU Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. As my my buddy Ed Orgeron likes to say. So the Tigers, are they the are they the dark horse in the SEC this year? Not so much a dark horse. I think they're projected to win 9, 10 football games. But you've got Alabama and Georgia. You've also got my adopted home state of Tennessee. The Vols are pretty doggone good. Josh Heupel up there, getting them going. I love it. But LSU at nine and a half wins with Jaden Daniels as their quarterback. You know, I is this LSU's year? Brian Kelly's the coach. And, and three previous coaches in the LSU coaching tree have won national titles. Nick Saban in, what, 2003? I think 2003. Uh, Let me look at that. I think it was 2003. I don't even know. Who cares, right? Who gives a shit? Nick Saban in 2003. Then we had the, the great, my favorite. I know LSU fans everywhere. This is this is pretty much universally recognized as, as the godfather of LSU football coaches. Les Miles, baby. He won a national title. And then most recently, we had the Raging Cajun at Ogeron. Go Tigers, Joe Burrow, go Tigers. 
Bally Lauderdale. Nick, I love Bally. Bally Lauderdale was a beautiful 20-something woman that Ed O'Drawn, I believe, left his wife for. Why am I talking about any of this? I don't know. Now, here's why I'm talking about it. Of the three, Saban, Miles, and Ed O. It's obvious Saban, had he not gone to the NFL, he could have LSU would have become present-day Alabama. And that's got to sting a little bit for Tigers fans, right? It has to. Had Saban have just stayed put, he would have won five, six national titles with LSU. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Now, there's Les Miles. I kid about Les Miles. I was actually in a hotel lounge in Houston, Texas many years ago when Les Miles was talking about, he was a Michigan man, he was talking about going back to Michigan. And there was a bunch of oil execs in this hotel lounge and they were singing songs. Les Miles, you suck. They hated this son of a bitch. Go back to Michigan, you Michigan man. Les Miles was, and this was after he had won a national title. They thought he was the biggest piece of shit ever. And I'm wondering, how does LSU Tiger football fans feel about Ed O? Compare Les Miles to Ed Ogeron. How do we feel? They both got a national championship. Both regarded as not the brightest dudes in the world. But not only has Les Miles won a national championship, to my knowledge, he's the only coach to ever steal a national title. If you remember the Dr. Pepper commercials, the national championship, Les Miles stole the national championship trophy. So he's got two in my book. He's got two titles. Stand up, Les Miles. Now, Nick, that wouldn't... Oh, now, Nick, now, now the, the, the 2019 team was the best team ever, Nick. And Edo, Edo, you have a point. You do have a point there. You had Joe Burrow. You had Jamar Chase. You had Hilaire. You had Queen. One of the greatest rosters of all time. You bet your ass, Nick. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Edo or Les Miles? Who do you take? Who do you take? I'm not really sure. Now, Brian Kelly's smarter than Les Miles. I think he's smarter. I think he's a better football coach than Edo. He took a number of Notre Dame teams to the college football playoff for the championship. I'm telling you, Brian Kelly's my boy. This year, LSU football, I'm telling you, something is in store for you guys. You got a great quarterback. I don't know shit about your roster. I know it's going to be damn tough to go through Georgia and Alabama, but I've got my eye on the Tigers this year. I just wanted to make sure that Les Miles got the respect that he deserved. He two national titles. Brian Kelly's coming. He's coming. Okay. You know, this past weekend, um, I went uh, to my parents' house. And they live in the San Juan Islands. They're retired. They live on a little island right off of Anacortes, Washington, called Guimas Island. There's like 600 full-time residents on this island. It's a 22-car, 21-car passenger ferry. It takes five minutes to get across the channel where the orcas, the killer whales, roam. Well, we got out there. It was Dungeness, Dungeness Crab season is, is, is opened. 
And I got to tell you, there was way too many weekenders out there. The Dungeness crab fishing was just slow. The crab were soft, a little small. We did not, we, we didn't do well, me and my boys. We did not do well at all. We got a few, but not like we normally do. No, not like we normally do. And I bring up crab because I like to unite the country, but I'm going to divide the country right here. Something that the West Coast has over the East Coast. I'm all East Coasters, regardless of political affiliation. The West Coast has this on the East Coast. The East Coast has blue crab. And blue crab, the meat is fine, but the crab is small. It's way too hard to get into. It's like trying to fucking break into Fort Knox. The blue crab sucks. Thumbs down on the blue crab. Now, the West Coast has a whole different animal. And his name is the Dungeness crab. It's much bigger. When you cook a dungy in the water that it came from, boil it alive. I see some of these stupid people on the beach killing the crab right there with a mallet, ripping off all, all of its stuff and then putting them in water. They don't, obviously, they're not cooking them in the salt water that they came from. You're taking a delicacy, people, and you're fucking ruining it. I see it all the time. I saw it this weekend. I shake my head. But the Dungeness crab, it's bigger, it's badder, it is supreme. So the West Coast, I don't know, maybe we'd have got nothing else on you. I don't know. I haven't even thought about it. But I know this the Dungeness crab is so far superior. To that blue, that, that the thing you call the blue crab, the Maryland blue crab, which is up and down the East Coast. Go to a, a a seafood boil house. You want the cheapest thing in your boil? It's a blue crab, and it sucks. You can't even get into the meat. I love Dungeness crab. Nothing like it fresh. My goodness, I thought I would throw that in there. All right, we're all over the map here. Now, let's go back. Talk. We're not going to talk NFL. We're going to talk about Tom Brady, the legend, TB12. And I want to share a story with you that I don't believe has ever been told. It started back in the year 2000 in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Combine. We all remember the 2000 Combine. You see the pictures of Tommy, Tommy, hey yo, Tommy, with no shirt on. Looks like a frat boy who hasn't lifted weights ever. Ran like a six six forty. The combine didn't appear to go well for TB twelve, the greatest quarterback of all time. Well, that day, that two thousand, that day in two thousand in Indianapolis, Tom Brady was dejected. He was sad. He was shaking his head. Am I even going to get drafted? Well, I'm a quarterback from the Michigan Wolverines for crying out loud. Am I even going to get drafted? He was down in the dumps. He was probably Tom Brady at this moment in two thousand was as down in the dumps as he's ever been. You know what he did? He walked across the street. Lucas Oil Stadium. He was done with his combine. He was embarrassed. They were taking pictures of him naked. Not even Giselle would want to fuck him. Nobody would. 
had his head down. He went over to an Irish pub. And you know what TB12 did? He ordered a double cheeseburger with bacon. And he ordered a Hefeweizen. He could, the poor guy could barely even drink this little Hefeweizen. And as he was chomping on his cheeseburger, thinking about his future, what he was going to do, there was this little old man sitting next to him all of a sudden. All of a sudden. This is true, you guys. This little old man's name was Clarence. You guys remember Clarence from this It's a Wonderful Life? The angel? Clarence! Clarence! You remember Clarence? Well, he sat next to Tom Brady. Tom Brady looked over and like, what the hell do you want, old man? And Clarence said to him, how would you like to be Tom Brady? And Tom looked up at him, bewildered, and he, he laughed. I am Tom Brady. And Clarence shook his head and said, no. How would you like to be Tom Brady? Brady laughed and said, okay, man, old man, how do we make me Tom Brady? And I don't know the ex what exactly happened. Only, to only Tommy knows. Did Clarence wave his magic wand or did he give him a limitless pill? But when Clarence left that Irish pub, Tom Brady was a completely different human being. Everything started to change. He started to become TB12. It was in a bar across the street from Lucas Oil Stadium where an angel named Clarence blessed Tom Brady and took him from Tom Brady to TB12. He became a new man. You fast forward, he was drafted in the sixth round by the New England Patriots, and he comes to camp. New England has Drew Bledsoe, stand-up Walla Walla Washington, a Washington State Cougar named Drew Bledsoe, who just signed a $100 million contract. I believe the richest contract in NFL history. Woo! He's your starter. New England also signed a backup, like two years, $7 million, named Damon Heward, Washington Husky product, Puyallup, Washington native. New England set a quarterback. They've got Tom Brady, excuse me, they've got Drew Bledsoe, and they've got Damon Heward as the backup. Two Washington products. Brock Heward is also from Puyallup, Washington, and brother of Damon, who played in the NFL, started at University of Washington. He calls up his brother and he says, "Oh my God, Damon, how pumped are you? You got you got you got paid to be a backup to Drew. This is awesome." And you know what Damon said? They're in training camp. This is what Damon said. He said, "Holy shit, Brock! I'm gonna get cut." Brock's like, "What are you talking about? You just got signed." No, Brock, you don't understand. There's this dude named Tom Brady in camp. He's better than Drew Bledsoe. He's better than Drew Bledsoe. Brock Heward's like, what? Tom Brady? The statue from Michigan? Now, obviously, Brock didn't know 
He had no idea what had happened months earlier in that bar in Indianapolis with Clarence. Tom Brady is the only dude I know who is better looking at 45 than 25. He keeps getting better looking. Who's a better quarterback at 40 than they were at 30? I tell you this story, not to diminish anything Tom Brady has done, because maybe if Clarence gave me a limitless pill or you know, waved his magic wand, I could have been something too. But he didn't. He didn't. He, he chose Tommy. He chose Tommy. Tom Brady is a marvel. He is a marvel. How he is the greatest quarterback that has ever lived It's not even debatable. It's not debatable. I used to like to say Montana, even though I'm an Elway guy. It's not debatable. What's debatable is how he got those powers. Because I don't think he had them at the combine. So Tommy and Clarence, whatever you two did in that Irish bar. Oh, by the way, so I told you, Tommy had a Hefeweizen. He could barely even choke that son of a bitch and beer down. He's kind of a wimp. After he got that pill, the limitless pill, or after after Clarence waved that wand, Tommy, Tommy he ordered another Hefeweizen. You know what he did? He opened his mouth and he sucked that thing down like Popeye sucks down spinach. The change was instant. He walked into training camp with the Patriots and said, you guys don't even know. Well, Damon Heward knew really quick really quick. And so did Drew Bledsoe. And so did Bill Belichick. I've learned to love Tommy, even though I'm a Denver Bronco fan, and I never really ever rooted for him. I've learned to love the son of a gun. I bet he's going to be, think about how good looking he's going to be at 55. He's going to, oh my God. If he's a knockout now, he's going to be in an 11 and a half, and that's not even possible. Way to go, Tommy. Way to go, Clarence. Clarence! Clarence! All right. I told you we were going to talk football. We are. Layoff politics. I haven't talked much Denver Broncos. My beloved Denver Broncos who are going to camp as we speak. Russell Wilson going to try to resurrect his career. If it doesn't work out this year for Russ, he's, he's dead meat. And I get made fun of a lot in Seattle because I'm born and raised in Seattle. I live a mile and a half from, from Seahawks training camp. I get a lot of shit for Super Bowl 48, I believe it was. The Denver Broncos versus the Seattle Seahawks. And people always want to know, how did you feel that day? How did you feel that day? They just want to stick it to me. Because it was a dream matchup forever. The Seahawks and the Broncos facing off. How did you feel? How do you think I felt? But by no means is it the worst loss I've ever encountered as a Denver Bronco fan. I have to save that for like the double overtime game against Baltimore or when we were the one seed and we got ousted by Jacksonville. The Super Bowls don't hurt because the Super Bowl losses – we lost to Dallas 27-10. 
We lost to the Redskins 42 to 10. We lost to the Giants 39 to 20. We let it halftime, damn it. We let it halftime. We lost to the 49ers 55-10. We shouldn't even, I mean, shit, we should have just taken our AFC Championship trophy against the Browns that year and said, no, we're not showing up. And then we lost to the Seahawks 43 to 8. Amazing catch by Demarius Thomas, by the way. The late, the, the late, the great Demarius Thomas. I love Demarius. That was a great catch for our only touchdown in that game. But the point is, we were never in any of the Super Bowls that we lost. Never, ever. So the Denver-Seattle Super Bowl does not pain me like it should. Had we have been up 24-10 in the fourth or at halftime, lose 27-24, had we have lost like the Seahawks lost the following year, against the Patriots with the Malcolm Butler interception, that would have been something you never could have recovered from. I would have never been able to recover from a loss like that. Had we have blown a lead like the Falcons did against the Patriots. It will take dying to get over those kind of losses. When you lose 43-8 to and you're down 2 nothing before the game really even starts and the Seahawks have the ball, when you learn that Percy Harvin smacked Golden Tate, punched Golden Tate the night before the Super Bowl, you know that nobody was beating those Seahawks. It's one of the best Super Bowl, best teams I think in Super Bowl history. The, the, the that Seahawk team, that 2013 Seahawk team, defensively, they had figured out that Peyton Manning was could only throw in the box. He didn't have the arm strength to get it. And even though he threw 55 touchdowns that year, people say, Nick, what are you talking about? He threw like seven in the first game, the week one against Baltimore. Our offense and the Denver Broncos might have been the best team in the NFL for the first five weeks. But you don't get a Super Bowl trophy for being the best team in the NFL for the first five weeks. Seattle was like that fighter who they were their best in rounds 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay. Seattle was coming. There was Denver was Denver was the best offense we've ever seen. But yada yada yada. They were in the AFC Championship game and against a beat up New England Patriot team. We scored like twenty three points. We were done being the greatest offense of all time. Many weeks prior, we had peaked. Plus, we didn't have Von Miller. We didn't have Derek Wolf. We didn't have Raheem Moore. Defensively, we were screwed against Seattle. Now, I thought we were going to move the ball a little bit. I didn't think we were going to get face-fucked like that. But I want Seattle fans to know that's... This Denver Bronco fan, I'd I, I I have to think about it. But that, that Seattle team was absolutely awesome. And I remember Denver being seven-point favorites... And the national media, oh, like this is the Broncos. This is the Broncos Super Bowl. For two weeks, two weeks, excuse me, I would pace around thinking about this game, thinking about this game, worrying about how our edge rushers were ever going to get to Wilson because Wilson was so incredible in terms of his scrambling ability when he was young. Best scrambler I've ever seen. Now, that Wilson's long gone. But he was absolutely incredible. And I remember, how's Robert Ayers going to get to Russell Wilson? We don't have Vaughn Miller. 
we fucked up with the, the facts thing with Elvis Dumerville. We were supposed to have him that year. We didn't. How are we going to sack Russell Wilson? Well, it turns out it didn't matter because we could not move the ball. And I remember sitting, standing, having a party. And I kid you not, my wedding cake with my wife, my wonderful wife, got me a giant Denver Bronco horse head. Okay? I wouldn't let anybody at my wedding. And I got married in 2003. Nobody can touch this cake. Nobody can touch it. I put my hands around. No one touches gigantic Denver Bronco horse head. We put it in our freezer. And I said, this cake will not come out until we go back to the Super Bowl. And in 2005, we were close. We lost to Pittsburgh at home, who ended up playing Seattle. That's a whole other story. So the cake didn't come out in 2005. Well, 2013, the Broncos are going back to the Super Bowl. And I remember being so excited. Telling my wife, the cake is going to come out, honey. The cake is coming out. Well, as I paced that day prior to the Super Bowl, I brought the cake out. and We're having people over. I knew something was wrong because I'm looking at this cake from 2003. And guess what's happening? The fucking cake is falling apart before the game even started. I knew something was wrong. My wedding pick cake, my Denver Bronco horsehead cake is falling apart. And I'm sitting there just almost you know, like, like two feet from the TV, my big screen TV. And all, and let me back up here all week. I'm in Seattle all week. I hear about how Seattle fans are outnumbering the Bronco fans 10 to one in New York city. Oh my goodness. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope John Fox and Peyton Manning understand that this is going to be more like a road game. This is not going to be a corporate crowd. This is the, the 12s are coming, and they're not just coming to watch the game. The 12s are coming to make a difference, and a difference they did. Remember what Buck said on the broadcast, right? Uh, the start of the first play? It's loud. It was loud. And Denver thought they were operating in Mile High Stadium or a neutral field. For as prepared as Peyton Manning was, right? We're supposed to be always as prepared. We couldn't hear anything. And boom, snap goes over at our head. And the rest is absolute history. The national media thought Denver was going to win. And for two weeks, I knew in my gut, I knew in my gut we were going to lose. And that's hard to say as someone who bleeds orange and blue. That Seahawk team, watching them all year, they were on the come. And they might not have been the best team in the NFL in week three or week five or week eight. You don't have to be. That Seahawk team was ready to kill. Didn't matter if teammates got in a fist fight, punched each other out before the game. It didn't matter. Nothing mattered. That team was going to face fuck Denver no matter what. And, and most other Super Bowl teams too. I don't like talking good about the Seattle Seahawks. Russell, please. The Denver Broncos have not won a meaningful football game in seven years. Please, Sean Payton. Please, I beg you. Please, Javante Williams, come back. Please, Mar please, Marvin Mims, make an impact. 
Drew Sanders. Baron Browning. I love the Denver Broncos. I say, what is it? It's Broncos, family. Is it family or Broncos? I think Bron- the Denver Broncos, even my wife would agree. They, 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 they belong ahead of my family. But it has gotten so hard to watch the last seven years. I'm beaten down. I don't even know. I don't even know. Okay. Hey, let's talk Kitty Stone. I know. I know everyone wants to talk about it. Here we go. I got my stint out. I had a successful surgery. I had PTSD going in because of what happened to me the first time. I woke up. Dr. Dong's there. Boom. She got it out. The stone was actually six millimeters. So I was ecstatic. I still had to have this stint in. And this is the one with the string hanging out of your hole. Okay. And thinking about pulling this out. And this stint was way worse than the stint I had in for for the previous three weeks with the string. It was way worse. It was causing me a lot of problems. Psychologically thinking about pulling this stint out, I, I was, how am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? I know I said I would do it live. I didn't I didn't do it live. I, I was just freaking about, uh, about the idea of how I'm going to do this. But I did it a day early. And I went into the bathroom, and I've got like six to eight inches of string hanging out of my, you know, you know what, my Johnson. And my wife's in there. And she's laughing. My wife is hysterically laughing. She's not supporting me. And I'm trying to pull on the string. And the string's like slipping through my fingers. So I'm literally pulling out like a centimeter at a time. And it's stinging a little bit. And I just want it over with. And it's like a centimeter at a time. And this string keeps getting longer. And I'm like, how long is this string? (gasps) And then, nope, the stint. There's the stint. There's this long plastic tube that starts coming. And I will sh- share with you a picture of me holding up my stint after I pulled it out. It's like I just caught a king salmon, for crying out loud. 35-pound king in CQ or Westport or something. And I pulled and I pulled and I pulled and I pulled. And my wife is just laughing. She's just cracking up. You think this is fucking funny, honey? This is your stud husband here. No, she was just laughing. She was making fun of me. Finally, the last part of the stint popped out. We'll post a picture. And I was done. This month-long hell that I was living was finally over. I could go back to trying to secure my yellow belt and karate I could go back to coaching football like an animal. I could start to lift weights again. I Life started to return to my body immediately. You know, in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, what happened when they took the Shankara stones out of the village? What happened? What happened to the village? Life was literally sucked out of the village. Well, this was reversed. 
when they took the stones out of me, out of my village, life, it came back to us. It came back to me. Life came back to my body. Like every hour, I was like, oh my God, I feel amazing. So we are going to put a period on kidney stone talk. It's done. I didn't anticipate. I never wanted to talk about it. I never wanted to have a kidney stone. Oh, by the way, Dr. Dong, the report came back. She listed a bunch of, it was, I had a common calcium stone. She listed a bunch of foods I'm not supposed to eat. None of the foods I ate. I think the reason was I don't drink enough water. The last year I, dr I drank a ton of water. But let's say the last 10 years, while this stone's been brewing, five years, however long, I need to drink more water. And so that was the takeaway. There's the takeaway on how to prevent kidney stones. But life came back to my body. The kidney stone is gone. Republicans, get rid of your kidney stone. I beg you. Glenn Youngkin, Brian Kemp, Ron DeSantis. I don't give a shit who it is. Trump is your kidney stone. Don't let him linger around anymore. Because if, 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 if you let this kidney stone stay, guess what? 2028 is going to come around. You're like, are you kidding me? He's running again. Get rid of your kidney stone, Republicans. There. That's as political as I'll be today. Goodness gracious. This could be my last show, by the way. Me and the Griswolds, a.k.a. the Scapini family, we're off to Mexico. We're flying into Cancun, and we're going to head south. I, and I think it's south. Down to Tulum, the Riviera Maya. So if you see Nick the American there, you know, you can ask me for an autograph. Oh, you know, depending upon my mood, I might give it to you, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you see me, say hello. So I'm going to be gone for 10 days. I'm not sure if this is the last broadcast until I get back or not. But enjoy the NFL. Camps are starting. Everybody's got hope. And remember, if, if this is the last time I talked to you, why, why this show is different. Why this show is different. While Rachel Maddow talks on the left, and she speaks for the left, and Sean Hannity talks on the right and speaks for the right, and everybody on the left that does that and everybody on the right, I'm telling you to change your tone. I'm telling you to work together. I'm telling you, we are united way more than we think we are. I'm telling you to be Americans. Love one another. It wouldn't hurt to hold hands. Because whether you're a liberal or conservative, you love your country. I love my country. I know conservatives love their country. So if this is the last time I speak with you before I get back on vacation... I love every one of you. I love every single American. I really do. Let's be good to each other. And hey, I've got no more kidney stone. I'm going to kick somebody's ass. Until the next time, have a semi-wonderful day, and I will talk to you later.